Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. Important. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian, and we have an awesome guest with us today. It's our first episode of the Ladies of Liberty, and we have Kim Ruff with us today. Kim? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you coming on, Kim. Uh, just so you know, it's awesome having you on. I know that we talk off of, offline quite a bit, but it's still so surreal to have a presidential candidate be on here and gosh, we should be talking about you right now instead of Joe. Oh my goodness. No, 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 no. There was a a very clear reason why I decided to withdraw from the race. And it was because in order to really run an effective campaign, you need to be able to go to the distance. And at that time it was evident I wasn't able to because of some changes and circumstances in my life. So it was better for the overall movement for me to withdraw from the race and permit somebody who had the ability to do so, to do so. So well, you should be you should be recognized for for understanding that and doing what you did. I I will want to thank you uh, for having the conversation you did with me. I don't talk with you often, but uh, late nineteen, I think you and I had a discussion about your run, and it was just really enlightening. And I uh, had a lot of fun watching you in the early part of the race. So thank you. Well, thank you, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. Well, Kim, uh, how we wanted to start this off, um, not a lot of people uh, in, the, in the last year, I think during the uh, race, they heard a little more, but not a lot of people have heard your path to liberty. You want to just walk us into how you got into this and what motivated you to, to join the movement? Sure. Um, <clears throat> So my folks are conservative. They're Republicans. They would be of the kind of Ronald Reagan stripe. And they always included us in conversations about politics growing up. And then I had gone to an all-girls Catholic school for high school. And that really helped me develop some of my speaking and writing skills without feeling the insecurities inherent in being around other boys and trying to vie for their attention. So kind of coming from that framework and then going into adulthood and having the experiences that I did, it became pretty clear um, that my ideology, my belief system did not align with the Republican Party that even though that was what my folks were, I was no longer a Republican. And a friend of mine had mentioned to me, based on my viewpoints and some of the things that I'd said, that I should look into the Libertarian Party. So I read the platform and I saw that it aligned and I ended up switching my voter registration in 2005. As far as getting involved in the party, that until 2009, I graduated from ASU with my dual baccalaureates in political science and communication. And that was largely because of the economic downturn. The, my decision to go and get not one, not two, but three liberal arts degrees was not the best choice to make <laughs> when you graduate during a deep recession. So I kind of carpet bombed a lot of periodicals and media firms to see if there was an opportunity there. And I really, I didn't have one, but the one that did reach out to me was the Arizona Libertarian Party. And they said, oh, with your experience and background and your writing skills, we have things for you to do. And I'm like, great, how much does it pay? And they're like, nothing. And I haven't made a dime since. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really how I got involved. And then just being around a community of people who, who see the world through the same lens that you do and really get it, understand it. You don't feel like you're so alone. And I think that that community has been what keeps me here. So 
that's a that's sort of my very shorthand version of my road to liberty. I always say if you're if you're making money as a libertarian, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We die for this movement. <laughs> we go broke for this. <laughs> Kevin? Yeah, totally. Um, we definitely do. Everybody that's involved in this is very dedicated, you know. Um, so to follow up on that, so once you got to the movement, what was your what was your experience being a woman in the liberty movement? You know, we don't we don't have a lot of women out in the forefront, and that's why we started this Ladies of Liberty um series we wanted to highlight that so can you kind of tell us about your experience as a woman whether in the liberty movement whether it be positive negative both i you know goodness i got asked this by um the vermin supreme institute as well because they're kind of doing a deep dive in the experience of women in politics in general and then sort of trying to tailor their messaging and marketing to attract more women as well and it's so it's such an difficult question to answer because I have no other framework but being a woman. So it's hard to say if my experience was positive or negative because of my gender or if it was or if it just was what it was because we're people and and we're going to invariably have good or and negative moments. Um but by and large it's been overwhelmingly positive. I've had I've had very little difficulty garnering respect and being treated well by other people. I think that once you're recognized as someone who legitimately cares about what you're trying to achieve and is interested in doing a good job at it, you know, prove yourself to be a workhorse willing to take on the task and do a good job, you do get that respect and you do, you do get that support regardless of gender. Um, I don't know that I've had any experiences that were negative necessarily because I was a woman, although I have been asked things, I have been asked questions, particularly when I was running for office, that I think they asked disproportionately of me more because I was a woman. Like, for example, when I was running for president, I got asked more often than not what my stance on abortion is, even though as president, you really only can state your position. You're not responsible for legislation. You want to overturn Roe v. Wade. You have to show a harm at a state level and take it to the Supreme Court. Like, I have nothing to do with that. But that was something that because I am a woman, the more people wanted to know my personal opinion on and just determine whether or not they wanted to support me because of that. So I'd say generally speaking, it has been pretty positive. There are inevitably in any movement, there are going to be unpleasant actors and individuals who are going to make your life difficult just because they can. They got nothing else going on, I guess. But, (laughs) you know, that it is what it is. And there's not too terribly much you can do about it except for just brush it off and keep on trucking. Yeah, no, it's it's good insight. And I know you've been involved in a lot of things um, inside of the movement. Can you talk a little bit about, I think you were involved in some of the caucuses. Yeah. So when I first got involved, it was here with the Arizona Libertarian Party. And the very first two roles that I had was to revitalize their then defunct and now defunct again newsletter. So for a a short period of time, (laughs) I think we ran like two issues and we're like, and scene. (laughs) But that was really cool because I got to, you know, utilize my writing skills and my ability to do Adobe and design and layout and everything like that. 
make this newsletter and collaborate with people who were writers as well and thinkers in the movement. So that's actually how I met people like George Phillies from Massachusetts, for example. Um, It's just because of soliciting writers for this very short-lived, lovely newsletter. And then the second thing that I had done at the same time was I took on the role of a campaign manager for a congressional candidate, which you know, in hindsight, I was way out of my depth on, (laughs) but it was a really, really excellent experience. I think that was, it was very insightful kind of learning about the machinations involved and how to do targeted messaging, how to reach out to certain demographics, capitalize on a moment, and then most importantly, galvanize the support base, get volunteers to come around and stay around. So that was the first, first few things that I did Um, I've co-hosted Liberty on the Rocks when we were doing that out here. I, when I lived in New York for a short spell, I founded a chapter in Niagara County and I was the secretary until I moved back to Arizona. I worked on some committees there with the state, the Libertarian Party of New York, um, like their communications committee and their media relations and a few other things. And then on the national level, I was I worked on the communications team for Daryl Perry in 2016 when he ran for president. And then I got involved with the Libertarian Party Radical Caucus and I was the Arizona chair, or not chair, it's state coordinator that you're like the liaison, the point person. So I did that for about a year and a half, sat on a ton of different committees and I was also on the bylaws committee for national. So a lot of the intra-party politics type stuff and a lot of the, uh, more administrative end of things is kind of how I cut my teeth. Running for president outside of the writing campaign in 2018 for Arizona State Mine Inspector was actually the first time I ever got in front of the camera as a candidate. Usually I'm the one behind the scenes going, no, don't say that, or you should do this, or maybe you should tuck in your shirt. And my God, (laughs) have you ever used a brush? (laughs) You know? So this was, it was interesting. It was, it was actually really, really great being a candidate. Um, it's just such a joy to meet and talk to so many people and hear their points of view and really have that one-on-one interpersonal connection. It's, it's just lovely. And what better way to do it than talking about the things you care deeply and passionately about? I got to tell you, what was that state where you um, announced fear you were dropping out of the race? Oh, Tennessee. And, and did you not win a straw poll either there or right before then? Uh, I came in sec- the at the same time that I was in Tennessee, letting people know in person that I was withdrawing. Yeah, they were doing the straw poll in New Hampshire, That's but right. I had let yeah. them know that I was intending to withdraw so that they could remove my name from the ballot and ensure that. But yeah, I ended up coming in, I think, second place anyway yeah. because they still had people mail in. Right. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I I just remember hearing that, and we were all pretty shocked. But yeah, 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 and I think you remember I was on Hornberger's team at the time, and and yeah, we were just shocked. Um, but but I just want to say um, that's a pretty awesome experience, and you've done uh, you've helped candidates, you've been a candidate, you've done state party work, um, you've done caucus work. When you, when you talk to young women in the movement who want to get more involved, um, but maybe you're having trouble, I've heard, you know, pick a path. Larry Sharp always kind of says, you know, you can either be a candidate, you can be an activist, you can be um, part of the part of the party politics. You know, you pick a path and run with it. What's your advice to somebody who's young and trying to 
figure out their place in the movement. Yeah. You know, actually, I I rather agree with Larry. I typically tell people to find the thing that you're most passionate about, play to your strengths, and and really do what makes your heart sing. Particularly if you're going to be doing it on a voluntary basis, the thing that keeps you here, aside from the community and the fact that you build relationships with people that are long-term and meaningful, the other thing that keeps volunteers consistently engaged is when they have some modicum of autonomy and they're assigned to a task that really plays to their strengths and that they're passionate about. So to to Larry's point of pick a path, I would agree with that. Although I would say based on my own sort of scattershot method of discovering what interests me the most, don't be afraid to sample from the menu. And if it's not for you, pick something different. Like it, you have a wide variety of choices and not every, not every role is going to be the best fit for you. So don't be afraid to explore and, and find things that work for you and, you know, build your healthy relationships with other people because that support network is going to be invaluable, not just in accomplishing a task, but also just the emotional support that comes from being with people who understand you and, and see what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great advice. I think, yeah, I think that's excellent advice. So we've talked about, you know, where you've been and all of that. Let's talk about what you're doing and where you're going. What, what's next for Kim Ruff? Are we going to see a 2024 run? Oh, goodness. Good heavens. You know, the, the wisest course of action for anyone who's seriously considering being a candidate for president in 2024 is hit the ground running now. You know, build up your team, build up your network, get your everyone lined out in their appropriate position, and then come into the nominating convention absolutely prepared to pivot immediately into a full-on presidential run. Like, but at the same token, me looking at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's four years from now. Like, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we could very well be Mad Max in it. So, <laughs> so what I am working on in the immediate is I'm actually one of the board members of the Liberty Coalition for Disaster Relief, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on essentially offsetting what FEMA does by doing it in their stead. It's taking that concept of we don't wait for government to help us. We help ourselves. It was founded by Brent DeRitter from North Carolina and several other wonderful people that I've known for years. And so they have been instrumental in providing relief and aid to people in hurricanes and other inclement weather events. And we're trying to expand and grow. And because I live here in Arizona, we have unique weather events that are atypical. There, you know, obviously we're not going to be hit by a hurricane, (laughs) but we have fires. Forest fires are a huge problem for us out here, as well as flash flooding and other events. So our job in Arizona is to build out those resources and those relationships. And then when there is an event that occurs, we'll be the, we'll be on the ready. So in conjunction with that, I was actually going to get my EMT certification so that I can, you know, deliver and render first aid as well. I have like CPR and first aid from doing mining safe, the MSHA training, but that's not sufficient, not in a legitimate disaster. So There's that. Um, The other aspect was, is that I am going to be running for Arizona State Mine Inspector in 2022. It is a statewide executive level position. And it's goofy. It's absolutely goofy. I mean, because it's just, we are the only state in the union that even has this role. It's weirdly partisan. And it has two purposes, which is to educate people, miners and contractors on appropriate 
safety behavior, you know, bloodboard pathogens, first aid CPR, and then maybe not drive under a haul truck, you know, things that, things yeah. of that nature, <laughs> like yeah. don't do those things. And then the other aspect of this role is that we're supposed to address the 100,000 abandoned mine shafts that are littered across the Arizona landscape, which my, my plan, and this is just a joke, is to fill it with expandable foam and call it a day. <laughs> so, but that is, it's, it's something that I am the only person in the Arizona Libertarian Party that actually qualifies for just because of the fact that I've worked in manufacturing for 15 years, particularly in industry tangential to mining, and I know a ton about it. Our economy is based on it. And I'm hoping that by doing this and being so passionate about it, I can be the first libertarian elected to a statewide office, a first female libertarian to be elected to a statewide office. So we shall see, but it's going to require quite a lot of signature gathering. It is, we do have a little bit of a hurdle to jump there, but I think I can do it. So That's fantastic. And am I wrong? That would be the first libertarian, right? For a statewide office. You know, I, I don't know if you are wrong. I think you're right. I think if uh, last time I looked after this past election, we still have yet to achieve the statewide, but we have had state representatives, obviously. So yeah, this- I think 42% is there, because I just finished up a statewide race, and so I had these numbers in my head going for it, and I think 42% is yeah. for a statewide race. Um, so that's pretty awesome. I mean, I think that you're going to have fun with that. I did something very similar here. I ran for corporation commission for very similar reasons. Um, and statewide, you get you get a chance to talk to a lot of voters. You're going to have a lot of people voting Libertarian for the very first time. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, and the nice thing about it, too, is that at least the composition of Arizona, we all of the outlying areas, like outside of the Phoenix metropolitan area, it's very, very libertarian. It's that classic Goldwater conservatism, which really would be libertarian today. So a lot of people already come from that, you know, leave me alone. I, you do you, I'll do me, that mentality. And so it's just a matter of getting them active and involved. One of our, I think you guys probably could attest to this as well. One of the things that you hear frequently when you do signature gathering or, you know, have an event or something and you're communicating with people in the community is, oh, I don't do politics. I don't do politics. Like it's something that they have the luxury of opting out and you're just like, honey, politics is doing you. <laughs> like t- get, get involved. So I'm hoping that I can encourage more people even if it doesn't manifest in me securing the position, I, I hope I can encourage more people to think about these ideas and recognize that they have the ability to do something right now in their community rather than allowing it to just happen as it will and acting like they somehow have the luxury of divorcing themselves from it. Because as we all know from Ruby Ridge and Waco and various other events, the government does not love when you try to opt out. So it's not really an option. <laughs> And I would say one of the uh, one of the most successful things from your campaign in 2020 uh, was your ability to get the people excited early, get the people excited on the ground. Um, so it'll be really interesting, you know, to watch you in Arizona try to try to gather that steam. Um, looking forward to it. And also, I'll apologize. We talked about a whole bunch of different questions we might ask you, and then Kevin threw out the 2024 presidential question. (laughs) 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 But one thing I'll say is that I think you're absolutely right. Is uh, do need we do need some folks to step forward, 
probably late 2021, you know, at the latest and, and have a longer campaign like you and Mr. Phillips, who's a good friend of the Oklahoma LP, uh, did. Um, so that we get our candidates out in front of people and people know who they are and people are excited about the race, you know, prior to the last two months before the convention. Right. I agree. I think one of the things that was so profoundly obvious to us, and it really doesn't serve us well, and and hopefully, and I was actually going to write the LNC about this and see if there's some sort of way to modify it. We hold our convention so very late and everything preceding the nominating convention has really been tailored to internal marketing. You're going from convention to convention, speaking to libertarians, which is wonderful. I love you guys. It's amazing to all see you. But I'm telling you why you should pick me for this role, and I'm not engaging in outreach. I'm, you know, Jacob Hornberger, God love him, he actually was actively out in North Carolina pounding the pavement whether or not he had the nomination, because whatever he did was still going to be a net benefit to the movement. And outreach is really the key. It's not we spend a lot of time speaking to each other internally about things, about how it should be or, or what we need to achieve here. But what we're failing to do is engage in active outreach and taking advantage of that far longer. Joe, after securing the nomination, she only had between, what, Memorial Day and the election. And if you're not ready to pivot on a dime, you can't afford to wait three or four weeks to launch a website or get your stuff together or have a plan. They did a pretty decent job recovering, but it's still you're already at a deficit just coming into the game so late, being a third-party candidate, not, you know, not getting that media coverage, not getting that attention. So you have to, we have to have it far sooner so that we can galvanize the base behind it and they need to engage in active outreach. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think the number of people that would ping me on Twitter and say, hey, do you think so-and-so is going to win the nomination after the nomination had already been secured? Um, was outrageous. Like I got that question every day uh, from somebody who was an actual card-carrying libertarian that didn't know who our presidential candidate was. You know what I mean? And um, and, and part of that is because of kind of the obscure way that we do nominations, which is which is valuable in some respects. But um, but if we ran two-year campaigns, yep. you know, what I mean? people would know who they are far before um, they get picked, even if we keep the nomination convention the same you know yeah see i had a i had a discussion with somebody on twitter uh, a couple of days ago and they were saying that prior to i think it was the 90 the no the 2000 election that we used to nominate in the off years that we would nominate our potus candidate two years before the actual election in that convention in between and then we changed for some reason Oh, I don't know. I did reach out to Karen Ann um, just to see if she could give me some insight into what the existing bylaws are and maybe some of the history on how that came to pass and what could be proposed in its stead to modify the bylaws. But I think right now we already have both 2022 and 2024 locations and dates locked down for our conventions. So unless and I don't see how we could feasibly do this unless we could somehow modify the bylaws now to have our nominating convention in 2022. We might just be shortchanged on another election cycle in that respect. I don't 
I don't see how we could because I think we would actually have to wait for a physical in-person convention or if we opt for another digital convention, but a proper convention to modify the bylaws. And because it's a bylaws issue, there you go. So I, I just don't see, I'm sure there was a, a good rationale, but at present it it's a bit of a handicap just because we really could benefit enormously from two years of actively campaigning one candidate as opposed to, you know, seven of us, eight of us trying. <laughs> I mean, not that it didn't help. I mean, it, it did. Vermin captured audience. Adam Kokesh captured an audience. Dan Berman did. Every single person who ran brought an audience with them. But for the, the big picture, it helps to all coalesce behind one far sooner. I agree. I think, and, and even if we can't change it, I think there's probably ways we could. But even if we can't, I think the idea of getting in earlier and, and being able to um, allow people to know who these folks are is gonna help us a lot in 2024. I also believe that we're gonna have more, um, a higher percentage of very serious candidates in 24 uh, that will be on the stage together. And I think that's gonna help um, the party you know, move forward. Well, last three, three or four minutes here, um, what does this party need to do better getting back kind of to the women pivot. What does this party need to do better, in your opinion, um, to bring more women along to the path of liberty? You know, I actually, I would say that we are very fortunate in this current time and situation where we have visible women in leadership roles and we have visible women who have become candidates and now sitting office holders. So I think that we've really kind of pivoted from what seems like on an outward level, a male dominated party to one that has quite a few more women in a face forward position. And I, I would like to encourage any women who are involved in the party to consider jumping in on that trend. If they're if they kind of were like me when I first got involved thinking, well, I'd rather help somebody else do it as opposed to do it myself, um, just to not not fret so much about it. If you understand what you're saying and you're passionate about it, it will translate when you speak. When you get in front of a microphone, if you just tell your truth, it will resonate. So don't be afraid to do it if that's, something, if that's a risk you're willing to take. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think... We just saw Angela McCardle jump into the chair race. We're going to see more, more folks jump into LP leadership races. And I think, um, and like you said, we have to start highlighting those wins to uh, those, those women that are in leadership now and show, I mean, for God's sakes, our presidential candidate was a woman. You know, it seems like we should be able to shed this stereotype. Um, so thank you, Kim. I really, really appreciate it, Kevin. Yeah, Kim, really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. I know it was late, but we really enjoyed having you. Oh my gosh, it was my honor and privilege. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Kim. I'll talk to you later. Okay, have a good night. Yeah.